like to ask you to bow with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this blessed Redeemer, the one who would be the satisfaction of a righteous throne, so that when I step into the presence of God, I am righteous and undeserving. Today, Father, we would like to ask your blessing on the Word of God so that we would see as you see, and with ears let us hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, thank you. Whew, thank you, I was getting hot. Thank you, thank you, Jake. Um, <clears throat> as you know, we've taken up the topic of the principles of the Word of God as it pertains to marriage. And we've tried to make application to not only our marital setting, but to all relationships because these principles have a wide base of application. And when we've done so, we, uh, uh, two days ago, we spent a lot of time talking about the concepts of willing submission and loving authority. And we began to uh, expand a little bit in a summation way that uh, the marital relationship really should uh, generate a, uh, a loving atmosphere and yet mutual respect, so, not, so that respect is given not because it has to be, that is out of fear, but uh, because you want to, because there is such an atmosphere of unselfishness in the relationship. And uh, this is a, a, real, uh, a real oasis in the assembly world, isn't it? In our local churches. Can you imagine uh, this kind of dynamic in a local church? How it would really, quite honestly, revolutionize our... Uh, our uh, um, sense of love one to another. In other words, we would actually be disciples. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. They'll actually know what I say, right? Is that what it says? No, it says that you love one another. This dynamic is permeating through each spiritual pore of your existence. So then we um, took some time and we looked at this word, understanding by wisdom understanding and knowledge is a house built we turn to first peter chapter 3 and we said you know husbands live with your wives in an understanding way giving honor treating them as precious and uh in that dynamic there is a spiritual blessing that happens if i might add a spiritual work that occurs and that's answered prayer now before we leave this point of prayer i want you to know that you only have two weapons really in the arsenal of the spiritual uh, armory, and it's the Word of God and prayer. And most of us will say or act as if the only uh, weapon in the arsenal is the Word of God. But I would submit to you that prayer has equal importance as the Word of God, and it is through prayer that God will therefore allow himself to be moved. I said that very carefully on purpose. I want you to know that I believe without any hesitation, emphatically, I believe that if we will ever see revival, we will adopt the principles of the Chronicles written to us by, by Solomon when he says, if you turn to this place and pray, seeking his face, he will restore. That's a principle that is timeless, timeless for each dispensation. And in this dispensation, the way I see it is we have a name that we're alive, but we're not so. And I, will believe, I believe that it will be because the concentrated, dedicated, 
unequivocal prayer of prayers of his children. Have you ever done that? I'm not leaving this spot until you bless me. That was very bold of Jacob to say that. And he was indeed wrestling with God, thinking he had God in a headlock. And the Lord just touched his thigh and he was a changed man. That's what prayer does to you, you know. You come away from that hour of prayer, that closet of prayer, where the only reason God has set himself in the closet is to listen to you pray. He's not there to get any clothes, to find something to wear. He is there to listen to you pray. That is the only reason he's there. So I would suggest to you that prayer can be, must not be hindered in the marital relationship. So we talked about what understanding means, and I was trying to funnel this down to some practicality. And we talked about what it, uh, uh, considerations of the mind, the will, or the soul, the, excuse me, the spiritually, the soul, which I've defined as mind, will, and emotions. If you wonder where that comes from, if I remember right, it's from A.P. Gibbs's book on preacher and his preaching, talking about his study on the soul in the Bible, mind, will, and emotions. It's a very helpful article. And then, of course, physically. We talked a little bit about understanding your wife's spiritual or your spouse's spiritual gifting, how they see things, helping them to express their spiritual gift, valuing their spiritual gift. You're not the only one with spiritual gift in the family. It's not all about you expressing your spiritual gift. Right? Those kinds of uh, attitudes come to the surface. What I'd like to do today is make this even more practical, and we're going to talk about two areas. And there'll be communication, and that sets the stage for dealing with conflict. Worked a long time to find two C's to illustrate the two points today. Communication and also beginning our discussion on conflict. And then tomorrow in the will of the Lord, we'll talk about what it takes to go from conflict to resolution to forgiveness and restoration. I feel those are some very important areas that we all could, could t- spend some time on looking at each of our earthly relationships. So, communication. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of James. You can guess where we're going to go with this. But the book of James has something to say. While you're turning there, let me ask you this question. Do you think God is a communicator? Why? State your case. Prove yourself. Jake. The Bible, okay. All right, yes, sir. The Word, all right. The Word means what in that setting, in that context? Good answer. Anybody? Yes, ma'am. Okay, very good. So through Jesus Christ who is communicating, I'd like to use the word concepts, right? Very good. I like that. High five right there, right there, yeah. Good job, good job. I'm not giving you a high five, though, Randy. Okay. <laughs> so God is a communicator. He says in Isaiah, what does he say? Come, let us reason together. There's communication. God intends to have a sense of communication. So that, if that's the, the um, architecture of his particular design of who he is, then it makes sense that he would want us to maybe think a little bit about communication. Let me... Um, Let me read this verse in James chapter 1 and verse 18. Wait. Sorry. That's not what I'm looking for. James 1, 19. There we go. So then, my beloved brethren, 
Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We'll stop right there. I'm just going to talk about a general idea. God is saying very clearly, this through the Spirit of God, through the writer James, he is saying this. Out of all the things you do in your life, you want to be a great listener. A great listener. You know what uh, they say in medicine? They say that if you interview the patient carefully and you listen well, you can ascertain their diagnosis only by history approximately 80% of the time. Is that what they taught you, brother? 80% of the time. So if you come in and you say, and I like that, that heart attack thing you did yesterday. That was good. Yeah, it's just indigestion. No, it's not. Actually, that happened. That guy said, he said to me, he has just an adjudged, big honking EMI. Honking is a medical word. I get it from Chris Schroeder. Okay. Big honking MI, right? Right there. I said hurting on the bottom of the side of his heart. 80% of the time, just by listening, you're actually able to come up with the diagnosis. Now, many of us who like to solve puzzles, we like to give the answer right away. That's not good listening. Right. Good listening requires that you actually keep your mouth shut right, and allow the other person to fumble and stumble with all kinds of stray thoughts so that eventually they get it out and you wait for it. Wait for it. You know, when you do that, you know what happens to you? You die to yourself. You die to yourself because you're letting the other person go through the mechanics of who they are and what they are and how they are and their gifting and their personality to allow a moment of expression. It's very demonstrable in a child. You know, their language skills aren't actually well developed and you wait for them to express things and they take rabbit trails and finally they say the essence. It's like a 10 minute conversation you could do in three seconds. But that's a very important observation because it says, Be swift, quick to hear, slow to speak. Now, what I want to do is I want to cover a couple of principles of communication and therefore understanding in the Word of God. And I'd like you to go to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. And this morning we'll have a few of these passages we'll have to turn to, and a lot of them come from the Proverbs. And I alluded to this one yesterday uh, by uh, uh, talking about the deep well. So Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 5. Counsel is in the heart of man. Excuse me. Counsel in the heart of man is like a deep water, and a man of understanding will draw it out. That means that you'll be in a position where you learn how to bring out the thoughts of your spouse or your loved one. You'll learn how to bring out the ideas that are hard to express from your, from your, fellow, from your colleague, from your fellow elder. That's where I want to use this illustration. It's with a group of elders. I was sitting with a bunch of men, and we were talking about a problem. That's all we do is really talk about problems. And so we were talking about a problem. And this one fella, very artistic, very spiritually minded, not so good verbally. And so as he was talking, he was fumbling around and, and I was having trouble and everybody else was quickly losing interest in whatever he had to say. And so I said, okay, wait, wait, I'm trying to understand. So 
I think you said blah, 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 blah. And he goes, that's it. That's what I'm trying to say. I said, fantastic. And then I went to everybody in the room. Is that what you heard him say? Is that what you heard him say? Is that what you heard him say? And I got everybody else to sign off on the communication, right? Why did I do that? Because my brother was stumbling. He was hurting. He had something on his heart. He couldn't get it out. I was able to help him get it out. And then what we did, and this is so important in communication, not only was it spoken, we meant that it, we also helped it to be received. That's very important. Learning how to draw that water. Do that with your spouse. That's very important. We talked about that yesterday. Now, I'd like to give another one. And the other one is uh, located for us. And and these are quite obvious after a while. Proverbs 25, verse 11. Proverbs 25, verse 11. If you're wondering where these came about, I read the Proverbs multiple times looking for insights to communication. This This is where this come from. So here it is. A word fitly or suitably spoken is like apples of gold in the setting of silver. That word fitly means um, beautiful for the occasion. Don't you love it when you say the right thing at the right time? Don't you hate it when you say the wrong thing at the right time? (laughs) I tell you, a word fitly spoken. Now, this is a common phenomenon that uh, happens in families where uh, the dad may come home from a long day and uh, comes into the door and the children rush at dad. Why do I tell you this? Because this is what happens to me. They rush at dad and they're so happy to see dad. And, you know, inevitably, one of the children loves to, to, to engage, but the only way they know how to engage is to tell you the worst news of the day. Right? Does that ever happen to anybody? They come in and they say, and not, you don't do this, but he comes in and he says, Daddy, Daddy, it's so good to see you. The dishwasher's broken. <laughs> you should see my wife. Now, now, honey, we talked about this. You're not supposed to get daddy some sweet tea, right? right? Fitly spoken in the right occasion. That's a very good thing, right? My wife and I, we used to, she, she, she thought, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And, and, and you know, I, quite honestly, at the end of the day, I am so exhausted. I don't have the capacities to work out all the intricacies of whatever was going on. And I just simply said to her, honey, I love you dearly, but if I don't get a few hours of sleep, I'm not going to be able to have any conversation worth anything. And you know what? I went right to sleep in 25 seconds. She sat there for hours. He's ruining our marriage. (laughs) You know what? I woke up the next day. I was ready to go. I said, all right, I think we can talk about it. She goes, you've ruined our marriage. (laughs) And you know what? We worked it out. And she would tell you today that she said, you know what? I realize that there's a time and a season for the right word. That's a pretty good principle, isn't it? Very good principle. You can imagine how it can apply uh, both publicly and privately. Look, look, at, um, look at Proverbs 27, 27.14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice, Early in the morning, what does it say? A curse. curse. Yeah, it's not coffee. It's a curse, isn't it? Exactly. 
I told you, I said, I want to go up. We have this, we have a, a room in our house. We call it the men's dorm because they have anywhere between three and four men in there at a time. And I said, I just want to go up in there and, and blow the air horn. She said, loud voice, curse, don't do it. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm saying this. There is time and a place for the right communication, but also there's the, also, there's the right methodology. The right methodology. And I tell you, one of the hardest things for me as a father is to be able to say, to, uh, to, to look for the right method to communicate. A lot of times I just want to get it out there, say it, get it off my chest so I can move on. And I tell you, the right methodology is just as important as anything else. Now, I'd like you to turn and corollary. Excuse me just a second. My computer's giving me a trouble. There we go. Mm-mm-mm. I'm not as smart as Joe because I don't have it memorized. So you have to give me a second here. There we go. I'd like you to turn to Proverbs 15.1. Proverbs 15.1. Proverbs 15.1, it says the following, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh, word, a harsh word stirs up anger. Has anybody ever tried that out sometime? <laughs> yeah. Did you try out the soft answer or the harsh word? <laughs> I usually do the harsh word. That goes well, doesn't it? It goes lousy. Let me tell you, my wife, th- this happened to me one time, and, and I confess it to you as absolute s- stupidity. We were um, at a public function, and I, uh, I heard her say, we're in a crowd, and she's talking, said something, and it embarrassed me. And I, uh, I, she didn't mean to embarrass me, but I took it that way. We got to the car. The first words I said to her is, why did you embarrass me there? Right? Very, very godly, right? Why did you embarrass me? She says, embarrass you? Then she said this. This was so cutting, so true. She said, don't you know I love you? I would never intentionally try to embarrass you anywhere at any time. Why do you believe the worst about me when you should be believing the best about me? (laughs) Yeah. Well, they had to call 911 because that was pretty deep. She was right. And her soft answer, it was a soft answer. Trust me, I was angry. She was soft so arrested me, so convicted me of my poor approach to our relationship. Soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word makes it worse. Makes it worse. Communication is important. Now, I'm going to give you one that is very important, and it's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. I want to ask you a question. Do you curse in your families? Do you swear? I live in a world 
I practice medicine in a world where swearing is more common than regular speech. Everybody that comes in, comes in raw. Those of you in law enforcement and EMS, you know exactly what I mean. They come in raw, they come in desperately uh, ill, some violent, some not, and all that is couched and termed and swearing left and right. I hear it all day long, every day. And the problem with that is that sometimes you can begin to think that way or you'll notice that those words pop into your head before you realize it. And sometimes, maybe you, maybe not, but they will actually be said in a moment of frustration in a family setting or a spousal setting. I want you to know that that does more to harm the spirit of the the individuals of those around you than you can imagine. And when in my life, when I have made those very sinful mistakes, I've never realized how deeply that has affected my children until I heard comments years later that they were damaged by my poor testimony. Now, maybe you are of that caliber of person and maybe not, but I have to confess to you, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth except that which is good and necessary to build up those around you to build up your spouse, to build up your children, to build up the assembly. That is how it's supposed to be. I am focusing the application specifically on the content of your communication. And I would, with great humility, challenge you to make a definite search, a definite evaluation of the content of your communication. Because it is important. Let's look at the last one of communication. Just some, just some brief insights. Verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 21 of Proverbs. Chapter 16 and verse 21 of Proverbs. Goes like this. The wise in heart will be called prudent, but the sweetness of lips increases learning. The sweetness of lips increases learning. Now, I know that many of us pride ourselves on being straightforward, don't we? I just call it like I see it. Well, you also blew up the home, but who cares? You know, there is a, there is a necessary element in which what you communicate can be so, more, so much more readily received, readily integrated in a person's life. If it has a little honey on it. My wife said this to me. You get, you get more, you get more uh, what is it, flies with honey than you do with something else, right? Whatever. Vinegar, there you go. And, you know, and she, of course, said that to me when I was having vinegar, right? I noticed that about her. We would go deal with people at various places of business. And she was the sweetest thing. She'd smile, big smile, big brown eyes, melt the pot, melt the mountain, you know, and do all that sweet. And I said, how'd you get that done? She'd look at me. I was just being sweet. Now, I don't mean you got to be all sticky and gooey and caramel-like. But I tell you, there is a real manner in which you want to speak. Grace, 
seasoned with salt. Your speech, grace, seasoned with salt. In other words, you're getting the job done. You're providing the preservative and the, and the nutrition, but you're, you're, you're putting it in a package that the listener wants to open the package. That's how you're doing it. Most of the time, problems that happen in the assembly happen not because you weren't right. That's not the issue. It's because how you presented what was right. That's what gets reacted to. Think about it. Think about it in the job situation. Think about it in your spousal situation, in your roommate situation. How you say it. A lot of times what happens is we're so upset, we're so uh, uh, moved emotionally that we let that come out and it dictates the manner in which we have communicated. And that sabotages the whole thing. Are you doing that? You see, we need to have understanding how the other person will receive the information and therefore I put it in the box that they would want to open. You know what that is? That's called self-sacrifice. It's communication is not the thing where you just have a catharsis of all your emotional outflow and just wherever that fire lands, so be it. James talks about that, the tongue. It can be like a fire. Why does it have to be like that? Why doesn't it be a spring? You get a lot more done that way. Communication. There's a lot in the Word of God about it. Now, what I want to do is I want to switch taking this idea of communication And I want to talk a little bit about conflict. One of the things that happens because we poorly communicate is it creates conflict. It creates a tension. It creates a barrier between one another. And as a result of that, we have one of two choices. We either deal with it and move on, or we just let it go and pretend it didn't happen. And I would like to suggest to you that you must Bring closure to conflict. You must bring closure to conflict. Many couples will say to me, well, our method, our chosen method of closure is just to ignore that the offense occurred. Well, that would be very nice, but not biblical. You see, the scripture says that if you bring your offering to the Lord and you remember that your brother or spouse or roommate has, a, has a, something against you, then you go and you first get right in the relationship and then come and offer your, your gift. What he's implying is, what Jesus is implying is this, your gift has no value to the heart of God as long as there is this issue between this other person. Thus, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, and forgive us our debts as we forget our, forgive our debtors. There is a direct proportional relationship respo- uh, responsiveness of God to you as it pertains to you to another. And that's very true in a family and a marital situation as well as the assembly and your roommate or whatever situation. It's kind of funny because, um, and I, I think I might have told you this last year, but Sunday mornings in our household are killers. I think it's the great play of Satan to try to ruin your Christianity on Sunday morning. We've got nine people in the house. Actually, it's 11 people in the house. And everybody is running different ways. And boy, I tell you, we get fussy at one another. We haven't, you know, we, got, we stayed up too late. We didn't get our clothes ready. Our hearts aren't ready. We're rushing around. Nobody's getting breakfast because we don't serve breakfast on Sunday morning. All right. You fend for yourself. 
And we all get in the car, and some kids are ready, some kids aren't. Some kids look like they did just, you know, need to brush their whatever. It's crazy. And I'll, I'll go into my wife while she's getting ready. Now, my wife feels that Sunday morning is her time to beautify the body, and she takes her time to get everything. I walk over there, and I say these magic dumb words. You think you can give me an ETA on this? She looks at me. Yeah, I know, Dave. You've done that. Yeah. She looks at me. She goes, I'll be ready when I'm ready. <laughs> Tension, conflict, words, wrong place, wrong time, soft answer, not existing. Tension, bad stuff. And we are getting in the car. We're driving to meeting, and I'm all upset because she's all upset, and the dog's all upset. And I'm driving down there. I'm saying, all right, you kids, settle down. We've got to go. Where's the Lord? Anybody ever have this happen? Have you ever been a victim of it? Maybe you're the cause of it. I don't know. We're dri- I tell you this one day, we're driving down the road, and we saw this couple. She's in her, he's, they're both in their pajamas. That's illegal, I think. In their pajamas out there, drinking their little Starbucks, and they got the little golden, perfectly golden, uh, groomed golden retriever. Here, boy, here, boy. Oh, you're such a cute little dog. You can be a kid. Oh, I just about killed nine people, and you're having a nice kissing affair with your dog. Good grief. I'll never forget, Jan and I, we saw that. We go. And we look right at each other. We'd like to do that. You know, it says in Malachi, the priest says, it's a, it's a weary thing to bring sacrifice. That's what we were doing. We are being Malachi's uh, audience, you know, going down the road. That conflict, that is not acceptable in the heart of God. You must deal with conflict. I know too many marriages in which they have chosen to ignore the conflict, and the next day they try to pretend like nothing's happened. And I guess what? The only person who actually is successful at pretending nothing happened was the offender. That's the guy. That's the only one who's walking around with a clear conscience. Everybody else is devastated. And if you, if you want to do one thing to kill your family, you do that. Conflict needs to be dealt with. Let me ask you this. Did God deal with your sin? You know, that kind of created something we call enmity. And he dealt with that. So it's part of this whole spirit of uh, even our plan of salvation. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city And contentions are like bars of a castle. If you want to keep each other out, you go ahead and unresolve the contention. Just fail to resolve it. You want want to keep each other away, that's how you do it. But if you want want something different, you'll deal with conflict. It is honorable for a man, Proverbs 20, verse 3, to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. That's pretty potent, isn't it? A lot of times we uh, get into conflict and it, it becomes an effort, especially with the men, to see if you can win. Right? You got your arguments. You got your logic. You got your words. You got your detailed analysis. You whip it out. And you probably win. Sure, you can probably win. But I just want you to know any fool can do that. You want to be a fool or not? You see, it's not about the quarrel. It's not about winning. It's not about trying to prove your point or have the last word. This is all about 
creating, augmenting, fertilizing, cultivating the unity that must be between one person and another. It all hinges on this concept called the love one for another, right? This is what it's about. And it's not about one's wits. It's not about who can yell the loudest. It's not about who can get the last gig in. And I've done all of those things. And I confess to you, I failed. What we want to do is we want to be those who actually don't raise those bars, but we want to be honorable. That's what is, what is it honorable? We don't go to the quarrel part. Now, let's look at a few, few things that causes our conflict. And this is sort of self-analysis. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 12, or chapter 10, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife. Love covers all sins. What does the word hatred there mean? It means this, to set against. So that means, when I say to you, hatred stirs up strife, some people will say, oh, I don't hate my husband. I don't hate my wife. Okay, but do you ever kind of set yourself against your wife your, or your spouse? Is that, is that, that's the idea, setting yourself against. That's the definition, as it were, of hatred. That produces strife. That produces conflict. Let me say it this way. Stubbornness produces conflict. Stubbornness produces a discrepancy and therefore strife. You know, it's not a compliment to be stubborn. In fact, it's really indictable. There's this guy in the Bible. He was named Saul. And he was identified by the prophet of God as being stubborn. And what happened to him? He just got rejected from the kingship. It's a pretty big deal. Why is it a big deal? Because who do you think was stubborn? The arch enemy, Lucifer, stubborn, resistant. We begin to emulate the character of that individual when we hold to that stubbornness. It creates that sense of hatred. It creates that sense of disdain. Sometimes you may have been tempted to say these following words. Oh, she makes me so mad. Oh, sometimes you're driving me crazy. Now, at first glance, those sound very innocent. But I'm telling you, those are the seeds that produce disrespect, that then produce hatred. And down the road, couples will come to me and they will literally say to me, I hate my husband. How did you get from, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me, I do, to I hate my husband? Well, you get there because of those little steps of disrespect along the way that eventually feeds this whole emotion that erupts after years of unable, of unresolved conflict that now culminates in an attitude of hatred. Saints, You don't think it might happen to you, but I'm telling you, it's happening today. It's happening in your assemblies. It's happening with your friends. It's happening in your families. This is why this is important. What's another cause of conflict? Building off communication. I'd like you to look at Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10. By pride comes nothing but strife. I'll say that again. By pride comes nothing but, but strife. Does it say this? By pride comes nothing but success. Is that what it says? By pride comes nothing but I win. Is that what it says? It says that if you want to hold the posture of pride, 
you will have one universal consistent result. Destruction. Strife. Now I'm going to be very blunt with you men. It appears to me that of all the issues we have in life, pride tends to be our corner of the market. Pride is that idea where, where we would say, as Satan said, I want to I usurp your authority. Pride is that idea of the thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think, which is what Satan did, overcome by his beauty. Pride is that idea that Nebuchadnezzar echoed in his own testimony in the book of Daniel when he said, you raise up to, or your fist and say, what are you doing? That's that, that's that phrase he said. Who can say to you, what have you done? That, and that, that sort of that sense of, of, I have no answer to anyone. All those are permutations and flavors of this idea of pride. I want you to know that it'll do only one thing. It will cause strife. It doesn't help you win. It doesn't help you succeed. It doesn't help you look better. It does one thing. It creates strife. And when we are in our spousal relationships, relationships, roommate or assembly relationships, I want you to know pride, no matter how you cover it, no matter how well you dress it up, will only cause strife. So don't mess around with pride. The, the scriptures is so, so delicate about this. Do not recognize one who is young as an elder, a novice, it says in the old King James, lest he be lifted up with what? Pride and fall into the same condemnation of who? The devil. Great company. Right? In other words, he equates that so quickly, even in the qualifications of a new elder. Right? We cannot mess with this, men. This is dangerous for your marriages. This is dangerous for you personally. You think you have strife between you and your spouse because of your pride? Let me suggest to you that you have a whole great deal of strife between you and your heavenly father. For it says in the book of James, he resists the proud. You know what that word means? He stands in a, in a stance as if in battle array, like a sword drawn, ready to run you through. That's how offensive pride is to the heart of God. Pride causes strife. I want to go to another one. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 18. What causes conflict? This is a big one. And it says this. A wrathful man stirs up strife. I'm going to ask you a question now. Are you an angry person? Are you an angry person? Do you remember what we opened with? The anger of man, the wrath of man, does not work the righteousness of God. Well, I'm, 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 I'm. I'm righteously angry. I agree. I think only God can do that. I've never in all of my life been able to say that I've been righteously angry. Angry about the right thing. Oh, I understand the, the nuances of it. My flesh is so deceiving. I usually always have a little twist in there from my flesh. To be quite honest with you. I, I, I would love to say that I am upset about the right thing at the right time in the right way. But I, I, my flesh is way too, too influential. I want you to know, if you are an angry man, if things set you off quickly, if you immediately have reaction to the happenstances of life and blame God for them, let me tell you something. You've got a huge problem. And what I'm asking you today to do is I'm asking you to look in the mirror 
And I'm asking you to say, am I contributing to the conflicts that are in my marriage and in my relationships? It was funny when we were first getting marriage counsel. We didn't have much marriage counsel. We had a little bit. The guy, the, the preacher, he said to Janet, so what's Steve's greatest weakness? I thought she'd at least take 25 minutes. It was exactly three seconds. This is what she said. Oh, that's easy. He's got a temper. I don't either. Oh, man. Didn't go well. I've spent the last 30 years realizing what she said was so true. You know, wrath degenerates into one thing, strife. Now, I want you to turn to a couple of last things real quick here. Proverbs 22 and verse 10. 22 and verse 10. Cast out the scoffer, and contention will leave. I want to ask you something. What do you think the definition of the scoffer is? Anybody? Anybody know what a scoffer is? Mocks. Very good. That's actually part of the definition. Very good. Anybody else? Scoffer. I would like to suggest to you that it has an idea of a critical spirit. Now, many of us will mistake this idea of a critical spirit for being discerning. Okay, I want you to know they have never been the same. Never have they been the same. A critical spirit comes from the posture of pride, whereby we would actually mock someone, but we couch it in ways that sound like constructive criticism, as if we mean the best for someone else. But in reality, we only mean a a moment of, of, of pride where we can say, I'm smart enough to figure out your problem. You know what that causes? It doesn't cause growth. It doesn't cause, it does not cause edification. It causes contention. And when we look at this whole arena, I want you to look in the mirror and the last fight you had, the last problem that was there, the problem that will happen tomorrow when you're packing up. I want you to ask the question, do I show these things? Am I a wrathful man? Am I a critical man? Am I a scoffer? There's one more. And I'll close with this because Gary's going to shoot me. Okay. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse man sows strife. What does the word perverse mean there? You can use a synonym called fraud. If you look up fraud in the new in an english dictionary you could use the synonym hypocrite there's nothing more strife producing than a man or a woman that tries to live with two faces you want to kill your family you want to kill your marriage and you try to live hypocritically you're a fraud Children see it, and they're usually the first to see it, and the wife sees it, or your spouse sees it, and it becomes quite evident. Most of the time, part of our problem that we have felt in our marriages today in Christian circles is because the lack of genuine faith that was in the mother of Timothy and the grandmother of Timothy. That's what it says, unhypocritical faith. Saints, I ask you, we have got to do more than just know the facts, know the data pass the exam. We've got to do more than just recite it to one another, although that's important now that each one would know the Word of God individually. We have to live the Word of God. 
We cannot tolerate individually are within myself and a hypocritical, fraudulent spirit that causes strife and contention. And if you want to see this generational strife continue, this is how it continues. Pride, scoffing, criticalness, fraudulent activity, hypocritical spirits. Oh, I suggest to you that we have to stop at this moment and say, Oh God, is this what we are? Is this what we look like? If you were to cast your gaze on us, is this what you see? Surely not. And I think what we need to do, I beg of you to do, is to be broken. To be broken. It is the way that God, it is the person that God intends to dwell with. I want to dwell with the broken and contrite in heart. Would you do that today? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and thank you that, that you love to be with the brokenhearted. You love to be with those who see the word, hear the word, and break under the magnificent, gentle power of the word of God. So many people resist that. I have been one of those. Father, I no longer want to be of that spirit. I no longer want a criticalness. I, I, want, I want to mine the meekness of Christ. I don't want to be ungenuine. I want to be genuine. I want to be 100% pure. Father, oh, work this in us. Help us in our communication, but help us in what we do to con- contribute to our conflict and take it seriously, Father. These are things that we live that happen to us on a daily routine basis. I beg of you, O oh God, let your spirit bring conviction of sin and let our heart be broke, our, our hearts be broken before you in Jesus' name. Amen.